The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Muller Week. Happy Tuesday, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Uh, what will the redacted version of the Mueller report find? It's going to get released on Thursday. Plus, time to talk about subpoena powers on the House Financial Services Committee. And House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, as well as the House Intelligence Committee, already issuing several subpoenas to Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan, and Citigroup. Why? To see precisely what, if any, financial dealings there have been with the Trump Organization and Trump World. Fresh reaction today off of that New York Times exclusive report from Eric Trump. I'll tell you what precisely Trump World is saying about the latest rounds of subpoenas. All of that with an all-star panel. Capri Cafaro, executive in residence at American University. Uh, she is the former minority leader as a Democrat in the Ohio State Senate. Sahil Kapoor, Bloomberg News national political correspondent, grabbing him off of the Democratic presidential primary campaign trail. And Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg News Canada reporter, and he's about to join the White House beat. What a beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. But got to be honest, I was up on Capitol Hill talking to some staffers in the Republican and Democratic uh, parties. And, and all of the chatter behind the scenes this recess week is on Thursday. That Mueller report, that redacted version of the Mueller report finally going to be released, not just to the House and Senate committees, but also, of course, to the public. And everyone is going to be racing to read through that redacted version and maybe even squinting their eyes to see if they can gleam any information as to what precisely will be in that redacted version. Remember, more than 2,900 subpoenas that were issued during the Bob Mueller investigation. 22 months, 22-month investigation. And of course, you've got more than 400 pages, 400 pages that is going to be released. What percentage of that will be redacted. Subpoenas likely going to have to be issued if Democrats hope to get any even explanation over why this is redacted. But subpoenas have already been issued, according to the New York Times, to large financial institutions, including Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank, the large financial institution that has had more than $2 billion, reportedly, of financial dealings with the Trump Organization and Trump World. And of course, in addition to Deutsche Bank, also Citigroup and uh, J.P. Morgan also 
uh, wrapped up in this. Uh, look, I've interviewed House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, Democrat from California, several times, uh, really since she assumed the gavel, even honestly a couple weeks before she got the gavel. And this was always in the works. But now it's actually being applied in practice. Capri Cafaro is an executive in residence at American University. She's the former minority leader for the Ohio State Senate. She's a Democrat. Sahil Kapoor, Bloomberg News national political correspondent. And Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg News Canada reporter. And Josh, you just got a promotion. Congrats. You're moving to Washington from Canada to join our White House team. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Anything going on these days? And rule number one was talking to them. I know, I know. It's okay, Josh. I'm here for you, buddy. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right, Sahil, let's start with you. I mean, these investigations, and and you know the Democrats better than anyone in the House of Representatives. Now you've got subpoenas that are being issued. Does this provide any legal threats to the administration any more so than the Mueller? Because the sources that I talk with at the White House say the Mueller investigation, no new indictments, no evidence of collusion. They're in the clear. The Mueller investigation has been the flavor of presidential investigations for the last, what is it, two years now. But at some level, the Democrats had always been more intrigued by the president's finances. They always kind of thought there was a little more there, you know, that he runs a sprawling business empire across the world, has done business and or at least attempted to do business in countries uh, in places like Azerbaijan and Indonesia, places with, Russia. you know, where you have and Russia, places where you have to deal with some unsavory characters. <laughs> um, the fact that he hasn't released his tax returns has only added to that intrigue. So there has been a faction of Democrats that always thought there was more to investigate, more to explore, more potential shadiness in his finances than the Mueller investigation and the Russia stuff to begin with. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, look, um, I think that what the Democrats are trying to get at is two things. Um, One, whether or not uh, the Trump organization has somehow benefited from Donald Trump being the leader of the free world and and if they've benefited financially. And I think on the flip side, trying to put pieces together on whether or not there were any pre-existing uh, relationships and somehow trying to connect the dots between, uh, you know, individuals in Eastern Europe or the Russian Federation or whatever, and these financial institutions that, uh, you know, where um, now President Trump has received, I believe, over $2 billion in loans. One more thing about the tax returns that I find that, that I think needs to be noted. I totally agree that uh, one of the reasons why um Congress and the House in particular is focused on the tax returns is to try to, again, illuminate um, what President Trump's business dealings look like. But because of the nature of commercial real estate, you're only going to get so much out of that picture because, you know, 40 Wall Street and this and then Trump Tower and whatever, you know, they all are going to paint a different picture. So his personal tax returns are only going to tell you so much. Capri Cafaro is an executive in residence at American University. She is the former Democratic minority leader in the Ohio State Senate. Uh, She's got an opinion column up on uh, foxnews.com that says, quote, if Democrats want to win in 2020, they should stop investigating Trump and focus on health care. Ignoring the, the the healthcare policy debate for a second, Capri, why would you do that to me? Well, Kevin? <laughs> well, I know you're I know you're a healthcare you, yeah. But but the argument of investigation fatigue, right? 
That's you as a Democrat in a battleground state like Ohio. That's the case that you're making. I I, I really do believe that. Look, I, I understand that, uh, you know, the House and the legislative branch have a constitutional ability and obligation to have oversight over, uh, you know, the executive branch. And they need to do that and they need to do it judiciously. They should not be abusing it. We've seen Republicans do it. Now we're seeing Democrats do it. And I, I think that people are going to get sick of it because I, I think it plays directly into the hand that Donald Trump has been trying to point to to play. And that's he's under attack and he's targeted. Right. I, I, so I spent a lot of time on the campaign trail over the last few weeks, um, last couple of months. And I was out a lot in the 20 in 2018 toward the end uh, before the midterm elections. And there was almost no talk on the Democratic side of the president and the Mueller investigation. It was not an issue. The The entire Russia thing was a sideshow. Healthcare was overwhelmingly above and beyond the number one issue for Democrats. And it worked very well for them. These candidates in these 40 or so House districts um, where Democrats made gains basically ignored the Russia investigation entirely and focused on health care. And the results speak for themselves. I'm looking at an exit poll from CNN right now from 2018 that says health care was the number one issue for voters in the 2018 election. And those voters who cited health care preferred Democratic candidates over Republicans by a margin of 75 to 23 percent. Coming up, we're going to have much more from Sahil, from Capri, on the crowded, crowded 2020 Democratic primary field. Plus, Josh Wingrove gives us his predictions on whether or not the USMCA will get, in fact, ratified. And just to close out this uh, topic, uh, Eric Trump a senior vice president of the Trump, executive vice president of the Trump organization, as well as, of course, a member of the first family, tweeting out uh, just this afternoon regarding these new subpoenas into Trump world through Deutsche Bank, quote, when you can't legislate harass, this nonsense is the exact reason why the American people have such disdain for politicians and the exact reason that my father was elected president. Congress, people are sick of your incompetence. Hashtag do your job, end quote. President Trump, for his part, in the last 24 hours, saying that there's going to be an investigation into the investigators. I think at the end of the day, it'd probably be up to Herman Cain if he wants to stay in that process or not. As far as we're concerned, he's in the process, and um, it's proceeding in an orderly way. Proceeding in an orderly way. That was Larry Kudlow, the top economic advisor to President Trump, speaking to reporters earlier today about Herman Cain who the president has nominated to the Fed board. And a lot of Republicans, including Senator Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah, withdrawing their support for him. And it has created quite the controversy within the Republican Party up in the Senate. Lawmakers, of course, are in recess this week, but economics driving the agenda, at least from the White House's perspective. All that changes on Thursday when the redacted version of the Mueller report finally released to the public. We were talking earlier about this New York Times report that there have been subpoenas issued by Democratic-controlled committees in the House of Representatives, including the House Financial Services Committee, to Deutsche Bank regarding the president and the Trump organization's assets all around the world, but it comes at a time, and again, which the administration wants to be talking about the economy. They're also talking about the economy in the crowded, crowded 2020 Democratic primary field. Sahil Kapoor, Bloomberg News national political correspondent, he's been out on the trail covering the crowded Democratic primary field. Capri Kafaro, executive in residence at American University, also an Ohio resident. She's the former minority leader in the Ohio Senate, a Democrat. She knows a thing or two about 
the battleground politics in the Hawkeye state. And Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg News Canadian reporter. I guess you need Canada for the USMCA. You do. You do. He's yeah. going to be moving to Washington. Moving to Washington. Josh Wingrove, everybody, moving to Washington, D.C. to join the White House team. How do you even prepare? No offense to, uh, to, the, to the Canadians, but our political system is a little bit more uh, dramatic. Should I say? You guys it said that mayor moments. once. It has a well, yeah. The Rob Ford, his brother's premier now up there so wow. in Ontario. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've I never mean, been listen, to Canada. You, you what? Got, what? Never yeah. been to Canada. Come on, come on. You, we'll have you up. We'll show you. Like you can eat poutine or whatever the heck you want. I see you say you hear poutine. I hear Putin. Okay. <laughs> so what about in terms of where this goes with USMCA? Yeah. Do you think this thing is finally going to get ratified? Uh, it is not moving quickly. I think that uh, the Democrats want a lot of changes right now that are going to be problematic. Mexico is going to resist adding new teeth to labor provisions, or at least they've signaled they will. Canada doesn't want to make any changes. They say, hey, the deal's done. We don't need to reopen this thing. Meanwhile, the clock's ticking. Canada has an election in October. If they want to pass it, they've got to move. And both countries, Mexico and Canada, want the U.S. to lift steel and aluminum tariffs to sort of grease the wheels to get USMCA through. So you add all that up. President hasn't, hasn't talked about quitting NAFTA in a while. It sort of suggests that we're going to be ha- having NAFTA for quite some time before they can sort out their differences on this. Okay, clock's ticking. Josh Wingrove, soon-to-be White House reporter for Bloomberg News. Clock's also ticking. Sahil Kapoor, national political correspondent for Bloomberg, in terms of the elections here. When you're out on the trail, I, I would imagine that you're hearing from voters that trade is a- an issue for Democrats in the primary. Do they like USMCA? It is a major issue for voters in the 2020 election, as it was a major issue for voters in the 2016 election. Now, I was out over the weekend um, with Senator Bernie Sanders, the front-running Democratic candidate in the field at the moment, and I met a number of voters in Michigan where he was, along with Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, who cited trade. Uh, One of them told me, I'm just going to quote this here, I think I have this up, NAFTA killed us. NAFTA absolutely killed us. And we've been getting the same old song and dance, unquote. This is Roger Jablonski of Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, He said he didn't support Trump, but he said he's not surprised Michigan voted for Trump because he said they just wanted change and he was the only change agent in the field. So this is so fascinating because I think so many times in the current political discourse, we just hear left versus right. No, that's not where I grew up. It, it, I, I, I know Capri. I know that's not where you grew up either. People were deciding between Senator Sanders and, and private citizen at the time, Donald Trump. And that's really where this election was decided. It was decided in factory towns. It was decided in Philadelphia suburbs in western Pennsylvania. The first time that Pennsylvania went for a Republican since 1988. It was decided in Youngstown, Ohio, where now Tim Ryan has thrown himself into the race. And you mentioned Bernie Sanders talking about NAFTA 2.0, talking about trade that you were on the trail covering. Were you with him in Pittsburgh? I was with him in Pittsburgh. So we have a bite from when he was on Sunday in Pittsburgh. I want to play for it now. And then Capri, I want to get your take on this. Here's Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders in Pittsburgh on Sunday. Go back to the drawing board on NAFTA. Do not send this treaty to Congress unless it includes strong and swift enforcement mechanisms to raise the wages of workers and to prevent corporations from shutting down in America and going abroad. Capri Cafaro, executive in residence uh, at American University, former minority leader 
and the Democrat as a Democrat in the Ohio Senate, he's saying go back to the drawing board. Yeah, guess who else is saying go back to the drawing board? Who? The AFL-CIO. Um, I just got a, you know one of these mass uh, mobilization emails from the AFL-CIO, basically saying, you know, we're glad to see that um, we finally are getting some movement. But, um, you know, tell your members that, you know, don't support USMCA unless it has some improvements in, in its provisions. And what Bernie Sanders has said, apparently, in Pittsburgh, which he may, must have gone to after he was in my hometown area in Lordstown, Ohio, on Sunday as well, is what a lot of people think in the industrial Midwest, that um, it's important to have a, tr uh, a trade agreement that lifts up the other nations that do not have um, high wages, worker protections, and strong environmental standards. Uh, Canada agrees with all this, I would add. But, you know, the Democrats are going to have a, a, a be pushing for this. They are pushing for this. What's unclear is how they want to do that. Do they want to reopen the deal or are they going to do some kind of side deal? Because some of the paint is already dry on this thing. When they signed it, they signed side letters, which is trade speak for it kicks in now. And so some of the protections, for instance, on auto tariffs are already in effect. So they could do something like that that maybe solves things. Remember, uh, Lopez Obrador, the, uh, the president of Mexico, is sort of a leftist populist. He might actually back stronger labor provisions, but uh, it, it remains totally up in the air. It's not new, though, for U.S. presidents or presidential candidates to campaign against NAFTA. Barack Obama did it. A bunch of people have done it. Saho, in the Democratic primary, though, I mean, in a general election, rather, President Trump, whoever he's campaigning against, will say, if Democrats block this, he's going to say, I tried to renegotiate NAFTA and, 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 you know, Democrats stood in the way they obstructed and whatnot. Now, so does the argument that Senator Sanders is making that other progressives like Senator Warren are making, which is this is not progressive enough, does that work in a general well, this is a bit of a pickle for the president a because he did pickle. campaign as someone who would deliver. Sorry, I just love that expression. Just, <laughs> I haven't heard that in so long. So a bit of a pickle. A bit of a NAFTA pickle. Sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll stop talking. No, no. Uh, so because he campaigned as someone who would deliver, not someone who would have political fights and, you know, wage battle over NAFTA in the political arena. If he can't do it, then on some level he has to respond to that. Now, what Bernie Sanders is doing is trying to uh, put a stake in the ground and saying, I'm the real candidate of opposing free trade deals. The Trump, you know, the Trump was campaigning as the fake Bernie Sanders in the words of Sanders campaign manager who I interviewed over the weekend, and that the way to defeat him is for Democrats to nominate real Bernie Sanders. Can I just, I don't know can I just say one more thing? But this is how he's campaigning as, as you know, someone who is going to take on a president who, in his view, did not deliver on his trade promises. You said you mentioned that that this this is more progressive. I don't think that people in Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania see um, what Bernie Sanders is saying as a progressive message on trade. I think that is a bread and butter mainline view on what fair trade means to a lot of people that voted. You know that what you would may uh, say as Reagan Democrats or crossed over for Trump. So I, I think that at least it, I don't know if it's a total mischaracterization that it's it's more progressive, um, but I don't think that it would be perceived as a progressive policy by those Midwestern Democrats. Smart point. Coming up, we have much more on the 2020 Democratic presidential field. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
If you two doesn't put you in a good mood, I don't know what will, especially on a nice Washington spring day. And it's recess. It's recess. We finally have recess. I was up on Capitol Hill earlier today talking to some staffers, and the only thing on their mind is Thursday. What is going to be in the redacted version of that Mueller report? We're finally going to get it, and lawmakers aren't even in town. I don't know. That could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Who knows? We'll find out on Thursday. We were talking about trade policy and whether or not USMCA is going to get ratified. We are talking about the uh, impacts from Mexico and Canada, but also on the 2020 field. Trade's such a dominant issue, casting its shadow over the next year and a half here in, in inside of Washington and around the country. You've got trade disputes, trade wars on multiple fronts, U.S. and Europe, U.S. and Japan. By the way, the Japanese economic minister in town this week negotiating on U.S.-Japanese trade talks. President Trump wants to see that $60 billion trade deficit with Japan nixed, or at least slashed. And they also want to get inroads for agricultural sector in the Japanese uh, region. And the Japanese, like the Europeans, are terrified of having auto tariffs. And then, of course, U.S. and China, which we always talk about as well. All-star all star panel with me, Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg News Canada reporter and incoming White House reporter for Bloomberg. Sahil Kapoor, Bloomberg News national political correspondent. He's been all over the 2020 field. And Capri Cafaro, friend of the program, executive in residence at American University, former minority leader as a Democrat in the Ohio State Senate. Capri, you're everywhere these days. You're back and forth from Ohio. You're going to L.A. You're always on Fox. But I, I, you, you're going to be cooking tomorrow on one of the local stations. I am. This is this is a, I guess a pretty well known secret at this point. I enjoy cooking, especially baking, um, and I'm putting together a uh, bipartisan cookbook called Setting the Table for Compromise, which we're hoping will be released at the end of the year. Um, this is my second bipartisan uh, segment. My first one that we did was with Michael Steele. You uh, never bring food for when you come into Bloomberg. I'm I will rectify that. I promise. So Thank tomorrow you. I will Shame. be cooking at 9:45 a.m. on WJLA. Um, on their morning show here in the Washington, D.C. area. So tune in if you want to see some good Italian uh, Easter Well, as, as 50% Italian, I love Italian food, but my sister just actually made Easter bread. thing about Capri is when she was in the Ohio State Senate, she would bake pies for Republicans to try to get their votes. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. No, hey, see, no, that's not how it was. It was as actually when I would bake pies and we would actually pass bills on a bipartisan manner. So okay. I wasn't trying to get votes. Okay, I was sorry. No, I know. No, very, very, like, spoke like a politician. It was not a bribe. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Back to trade talk. But uh, from your perspective, in terms of all of the different trade talks that are going on, and we talked earlier about how NAFTA and USMCA is going to play. But take us into Youngstown. Take us into these these uh, into the auto industry sector where the GM plant has, has closed down. How do these other trade disputes play in a state like Ohio? I think that it, you know China, particularly currency manipulation and how currency manipulation ties into all of this, is something that um, uh, you know folks in Ohio and again the industrial Midwest, including um, Tim Ryan, who is the member of Congress that represents uh, Youngstown, uh, has talked about incessantly the implications of currency manipulation. So I think that when you're talking to and trying to connect with voters in the industrial Midwest, this issue that an it, a, an imbalance in a trade agreement, not necessarily just a trade imbalance as we know it on Bloomberg, but an imbalance in a trade agreement where things are not fair, um, you know, it has been something that is pervasive all the way back to uh, when the steel industry collapsed in the late 1970s. So this is part of 
the cultural fabric of many of these quote unquote Rust Belt communities. And it's why it, it, it's interesting to see Senator Sanders espouse this rhetoric, these policies, Sahil Kapoor, especially when you, I, I would make the case that he has has understands that fabric that Capri is talking about and understands why something like the Green New Deal doesn't necessarily always mesh with these the the type of populist rhetoric that we see from from a Senator Sanders. You've spent time with Senator Kamala Harris as well as uh, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke. How are they going to convince in a more centrist lane? How is former Vice President Biden in a more centrist way going to say, hey, wait a minute, this is just a new economy? That's not always a hopeful message. So here's how I'd categorize that in the moment. Biden, if he runs, will will be firmly in the centrist lane. Bernie Sanders is firmly in the progressive lane. The similarity between Kamala Harris and Beto O'Rourke is they're kind of trying to straddle both of those. They are trying to appeal to insurgent progressives while also maintaining an appeal to mainstream establishment, centrist Democrats, call it what you want. And they're kind of doing it in different ways. Now, the spectrum a lot of people pay attention to in, in Washington especially is left versus right. The more important spectrum is insider versus outsider. And this is something Trump understood very well. This is something Bernie Sanders understands very well. Such an appropriate song, U2's Beautiful Day, on a beautiful day here in Washington, D.C., a congressional recess day in Washington, D.C. An amazing, amazing day. We're talking all things politics and policy, and especially how economics is going to play out in the crowded 2020 Democratic field. And I've, we've got the best panel to walk us through this. Josh Wingrove is Bloomberg News Canada reporter covering all things from the Canadian's perspective on USMCA. And he's actually moving to Washington, D.C. for Bloomberg in the next couple of weeks. He's going to be joining our all-star White House team. Josh making his first appearance on Sound On. Thanks for being here, Josh. My pleasure. My and he, pleasure. I've already learned something from Josh because now I know that put poutine. Yes. Poutine is like it's fries with cheese curds and gravy. I'm here to Canada's plane, Kevin. That's but not but not Italian gravy. Like actual oh, turkey God, gravy. Gross, gross. Yeah, okay, no, Italian like, gravy yeah. is not gross, but we're yeah, going to leave that yeah. there because you're a friend of the program, a <laughs> colleague. Sauce. Capri yeah. Cafaro chiming in. She's an executive in residence at American University, a Democrat, former minority leader in the Ohio State Senate. Knows a thing or two about good cooking, if I do say so myself. And the fact that it's sauce and not gravy. I grew up in a... I, that's I, a regional thing. It's a re amongst it is, it's Italian-Americans. It's not an Italian thing. It's a regional Italian thing, which exactly. is... That's how you know you're really getting into the nuance. True. Which we that's do here. That's what we're here. here for. That's what we do here. <laughs> and of course, Sahil Kapoor, Bloomberg News National political correspondent. You see him all the time on CNN and also out on the campaign trail. And it was tax day on Monday, or Tuesday, tax day on April 15th. All the days blur together. Yesterday was tax day. Uh, and Bernie Sanders... Democratic presidential candidate, Democratic socialist, releasing his tax returns. And he's a millionaire. He is a millionaire, Kevin. He actually admitted this a few days before the tax returns to kind of soften the... He had to admit that he was a millionaire. Like, I, go ahead. Right. Well, this this is, the, this is a, a longer story, but let me give you the top lines of his tax returns. 2014. He's been in Congress, by the way, since 1990. He's been around for three decades and somehow manages to maintain the perception of an outsider, by the way. It's pretty remarkable. 2014, he made 206000 he and his wife. Uh, 2015, he made 241000 2016, his book comes out. His income shoots up to $1 million. 2017, $1.1 million. Again, book sales. 2018, it comes down to about half a million. 
again, from book sales. Okay, now, is it going to hurt him that he's a millionaire? No, I don't think it will. And this is where people badly misunderstand his message and his profile. He's not saying that it's bad to be a millionaire. He is saying the system uh, does not force, does not make them pay enough taxes into the system. And what he's saying is, I'm going to raise the taxes of everyone who's making above X amount of money. That includes himself. In other words, he's happy to pay those extra taxes. I don't think any of his supporters are going to look at him and say, he made some money off a best-selling book, therefore I no longer trust him on What's these the wife up to? I don't know the answer to that. Isn't she it been It sounds in- like most va- the vast majority of this income uh looks to be from his But she had if his. I'm if I'm recalling correctly, she was under some type of investigation with being the some, cha- something about the college. The college, right? I mean, in you Vermont. covered this in, in Burlington. In Burlington. Uh, this was, I remember there was some chatter about this in 2016. He was pressured to release his tax returns. He did not do that. I think a lot of Democrats, uh, a lot of uh, Democrats who have been skeptical or if not outright opposed to Sanders thought there would be something fishy in there. I have not read every line of the 10 years of tax returns that he has released, but I don't believe that any any such evidence of that has been found. Do you think, Capri Cafaro, that in a general election, when Republicans are going to say they're going to simplify the debate, right, that we've seen play out for decades, Republicans want to cut your taxes, Democrats want to raise them. In the 70,000 voters that switched from Obama to Trump in 2016 – in Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, are they going to buy that? Are they going to want to go back? What What is your polling and and your in, in your backyard in Youngstown, Ohio? Mm-hmm. What are you hearing? Uh, you know, I think that it, it's not people are not hating on Trump as much as maybe folks inside the Beltway are assuming. Um, I think that you know there's a lot of latitude still given to now President Trump. Um, by those that did vote for him because they, I think that they they feel as if they knew what they signed up for. So all of the hair on fire stuff that, that you know, is talked about so frequently on 24-hour cable news and inside the beltway of, you know, whether it's Stormy Daniels or the emoluments clause or he's not releasing his tax returns, people say, we knew that about him and we didn't care. I will say, Kevin, the tax issue has lost a lot of its political luster. I think for several decades, for most of the Reagan era, uh, you know, 1980 onwards, through the Obama presidency, the idea of tax cuts was a known uh, and accepted political winner. We saw the Republicans cut taxes in 2017, in December 2017. That law did not work well for them. Just one-fifth of the American public, according to polls, believed they got a tax cut when two-thirds of them did in reality. So how many, you know how much is there left to cut in people's taxes? Do people really believe that it's going to help them and have Democrats? And it's disproportionate too amongst blue states versus red states and the places with salt. Uh, salt. The, yeah. the middle income earners got a tax cut of an average of twenty dollars per week, and the withholdings changed significantly to the point where they ended up paying larger, ref- or, you know, larger uh, amounts on tax day this season or getting smaller refunds, and that annoyed a lot of people. And the last thing I'll say about this is that Democrats have convinced many of them that. Tax cuts mean a threat to Social Security and Medicare because they blow up the deficit and put pressure to reduce those. Do people care about the deficit anymore? Like the deficit here is, you know, the deficit is is exploding. But uh, I, 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 two things. I think wow, I, Canadian I don't, Canadian trolling going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what five percent of GDP. Like <laughs> Josh that. Wingrove, everybody. Uh, yeah. So uh, two things. I think uh, I, I don't think uh, Bernie Sanders will face blowback for being too rich to preach what he's preaching. I think he is uh, in some ways gets more street cred. I think. On the flip side, part of the motivation by President Trump to not release his tax returns might have do might have something to do with the fact that he might 
not be as wealthy as people think. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, there's a bit of expectations management going on, I think, on both sides. But the transparency that uh, I think I think you're right. Absolutely, Sahil. I think the transparency that's being demanded is evolving. It, people just don't care about this as, as much anymore. You know what? Most people care about the issues. Shocker. I don't think the left cares that how rich Bernie is, and I don't think Republican base cares if Trump, President Trump releases his tax returns. Bringing it back to uh, this week, we've got a couple minutes left. What's on your radar, Capri Cafaro, besides Mueller Thursday? Oh, What's gosh. on your radar? Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be um, on TV on Mueller Day, so I, I just can't wait. Uh, you know, frankly... Um, you live for this. No, you know what? I'll say this. I think that all of us need to take a deep breath and recognize that it's, you know, it's holy week it's easter it's passover and let's chill for a minute and wow. not freak out over the miller report everybody's going to be doing that you know and you're a democrat wow seriously well i mean what's I, on your radar for this week though that, that, that's really it that's really it Sahil, what's on your radar the Mueller report yeah, congress right. is on recess what else am i going to do I don't know. Yeah, you know well i mean <laughs> beto's in town ish he's in in virginia ish. josh wingrove how are you preparing to move to washington and go into the Brady briefing room with so us. So I'm not going to make fun of the deficit anymore, Kevin. It seems to get under your skin a little bit. It doesn't get under my skin. <laughs> listen, I don't, have, I don't have a dog in the room. I mean, listen, I'm just a host. I'm just an anchor. I'm just a reporter. Uh, it's it's a completely valid point. It's this fun, country does I, not Canada, care about Canada the deficit. is losing its mind over a 0.7. How are you preparing deficit? to cover 0. the White 7, House? How know? are you preparing to join the White House Brady briefing room? Well, talking with things uh, with uh, with with. Fine folks such as yourself. I mean, look, the president is is fighting a, a battle, uh, in, you know, increasingly on international fronts. I think his trade policy is, is having some difficulty. Pretty much no country thinks they can uh, stick to a deal with them. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, but, like, what are you personally doing? Uh, to Well, reading, man. There's a lot to read about this president, wow. you know. Jeez. All you need is Twitter. Jeez. We're going to have to yeah, leave it there. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg News Canadian reporter. He's moving to Washington. Mr. Wingrove comes to Washington to join our White House team. Sahil Kapoor, good friend on the Bloomberg National Political Correspondent and Capri Kafaro. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.